This morning I want to continue to speaking about faith and works, and the Lord is just not letting me off this topic yet. And we're going to continue to talk about working in the church. Last week we talked about the church, what the church is, and this week we're going to speak about working in the church. And um, I feel that this will be a challenging message as all of God's messages are challenging, right? Have you ever had a God's message that isn't challenging? <laughs> so that's why I pray another challenging message for us. But I believe, though, as we look at this and keep the right heart in it, I think we'll see God's purpose in it so that we will be glorified through it and his church will be built up as a result of it. It's all about God's church. Not about the building, it's about the people. And this is what we're building up right now. And so uh, we're going to lead into that. I think that it's important that we all know that our church has gone through a shake-up over the past year and a half, two years. And it's okay, we need to recognize that because I believe God works through things of that nature. And it's been a hard year, but I know myself, the sifting that's gone in my life, the sifting that's gone in our church body, the sifting that God has allowed to happen, I think we need to look at it and see the significance of what's behind it and be challenged by what he has as a result of it. Um, I want to be very careful. I know that There's been a lot of sacrifice over the past year and a half, two years. And I know there has been sacrifice in this church. And I know there's been a lot of personal sacrifice in the life of Chris and I. And I want to be careful that I don't do anything to waste that sacrifice. I want the Lord to use what he has allowed to happen for his glory. And I want to not jeopardize. I don't want to get in the way of it. I don't want to squander it. I don't want it to be wasted because of my action or inaction in any way that would prohibit or inhibit the new growth that will come in this church. All right? Uh, so that's my prayer. And actually, when I see this and this, as time goes on, um, I have my own plan, I thought, maybe, how, what, how and what would happen afterwards. I kind of thought that the work was done. I kind of thought that it was going to be easy from here on out. I kind of thought that it was time to kind of sit back and, and let God build his church now. And let Jesus build, which is proper, which is biblical. That this is God's church and his, it is his church to build. But it's not done without effort cooperatively with us. Right? I mean, we, we talked about it last week that, that Jesus said, on this church, on this rock, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. 
It's Jesus' church. He's building it, but he's doing it on the faith of men. He's doing it on the, uh, with the cooperative effort of you and I as we build the church of Jesus. And so now we have to look at our part of it. And this is where, um, I, I, again, I'm, I'll be honest with you, this is where I didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into and I really thought the work was done and now with the easy part. But I'm asking, I'm telling you that I've been more challenged in my life over the last few weeks in preparing for the future. And, uh, and it scares me. It scares me because God's plan may be trumping my plan. And when God has a plan that trumps my plan, I don't know about you, but it makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're laughing because that sounds like a nervous laugh. But do you believe that God has a plan for our church? I mean, on your notes there, circle yes or no. Okay. And what happens if our plan and God's plan don't seem to be matching up? How do we handle that? And that's some of the challenge that I've been in the past few weeks, and I probably continue to be in it for a while. Why are we uncomfortable with God's plan if it doesn't seem to line up with mine? Why? I mean, let's go through the blanks. I would tell myself that God's plan is better than mine because it's more thought out than mine. Okay? It's more thought out. It's longer lasting. In fact, it's eternal. God's plan lasts longer than mine. It's eternal. It's more powerful than my plan could ever be. It's more effective than my plan. And here's the kicker of it all. It's much bigger in scope. And it impacts more people than my plan ever could. See, my plan is very simple. My plan is comfortable. <laughs> my plan is just being comfortable. I mean, wouldn't it be your plan too? Come on, be honest with me, please. I'm being honest with you. Don't we want to do the things that make us comfortable? Yeah. I mean, we don't necessarily like to stretch ourselves, do we? Our plan is comfortable. God's plan is powerful. And I find myself again at a crossroads at our church. And the crossroads is, which plan do I take? Do I take my comfortable plan? Or do I take God's more lasting, more powerful, more eternal, more thought out, more effective plan? That comes with it a challenge. See, our church's foundation has been shaken over the past few weeks, um, months, okay? Shaken from the perspective of our power base. Not shaken from the perspective of our fundamental beliefs. We're more solid on who we are as a Christian church than ever. I am more excited about teaching this fundamentals class. I'm more excited about staying in God's Word. I'm more excited about, about lining my life up with God's Word more than ever. 
I'm not worried about that being shaken. But what's been shaken here is our political structure. What's been shaken is our financial base. What's been shaken is our uh, man's thoughts about how we do things here. And that's not all bad. I, I read a book in the process of reading a book called Who Stole My Church? Our political structure, our man-made rules and regulations, our financial base. <laughs> that's the same, what she said is that's the same thing Jesus shook up. The political structure, the financial base, and religious rules. Wow. Right, write that down. That's pretty good. That's awesome. You see how we work as a body? You see how we need each other to feed into each other? That's awesome. But you know, in the book here that he wrote, that, that this author wrote, Gordon McDonald, and, and, I, and again, I read this very carefully, and I don't do this with any sense of, of judgment. I don't just, please, hear my heart, because what I'm going to read can sound um, maybe harsh, but it also applies to my personal life as much as, as it does to people. Okay, so let me let me read. The, the story goes here just briefly that this church was going under. Oh, this church was going through change. Okay, a lot of change in this church, and um, they had a discovery group of people that were helping guide through the change. Part of the change was they didn't like the new songs that they were singing. They didn't like the fact that the youth were having more of an input, and the old people were just paying the bills. Okay, they didn't like. Uh, the fact that they were going through a name change. Okay? And I see this soul lining up in so many ways with what we're kind of going through as well to some degree. So this focus group or this discovery group got together and there was a person on the, in, this, in this discovery group that was part of the old school and never really could grasp the new. Okay? And as a result, this person in the name in the book, his name was John Sanders. This was a, a uh, fictional story based upon, to make the point. So there's not a John Sanders that I know of. But anyway, he was the guy that was really just resistant to everything. And, and as a result of that, he brought a defeatist spirit along with him. And, and, and almost, it says here, almost a negative spell over the group, over the congregation. Let me just read what he says. He says, I don't want to rag on John Sanders, but he does typify what I think of when I see those types of people. I wonder about their defeatist spirit. Do they cast something almost like a negative spell over groups or over congregations? Is there something that gets in the, it's stymied in our genuine quest for renewal and progress when we tiptoe around the laggards and let them pin us down or intimidate us? I'm reluctant to come to these kinds of conclusions, but the truth is that in the wake of John Sanders leaving us, the discovery group had begun to move on to be a totally different kind of people. God was doing something in their hearts. They were facing the truth about themselves, and I loved them for this. They were taking a fresh look at the world beyond themselves. And this is a sentence that really kind of blew me away. I've heard it said many times that groups and churches... And I'm going to also throw in here, I'm going to make a caveat here, groups, churches, and personal lives, okay, grow first 
by subtraction. Was John's leaving an example of this principle? In the early days of the church, there was a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who tried to put on a show of generosity but, but misrepresented their true intentions in the process. Their church's leader, Peter, was harsh with them, and they ended up dying. Dying? Why? I can only assume that the greater message was that people sometimes cannot move forward until some in the group or something in your life, take it personal, have stepped away. So again I ask, was it necessary for John to disappear for the discovery group to make a step forward? Go figure. So I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that I have to let go if I'm going to move forward. There are things in my personal life that I need to slay. The Bible says you need to kill the physical man. Not play with them. You've got to kill them. All right. you just, it's just a serious stuff. So, with that said, maybe there are some things in our life and in, in our church that we need to let go so God can accomplish what He needs to do in our lives. So, so with that point, where are we today? See, we're at a decision point here where, where what do we do and where do we go from here and how do we rebuild? Um, and I know that for most of us, it is for me, this is new territory. I have not been through a church rebuild before. In fact, I've only been a pastor four years. So you know I'm a novice. You know I'm pretty green around the ears here. Okay? Um, but I believe, though, that the Lord has got us in a position now where he wants us to be. And now, to be honest with you, I'm a little uncomfortable, and I'm a little nervous, and I'm a little scared of where the Lord's going to take us and what he's going to require of us. Um, yeah, I've never been as close to the Lord in my prayer life as I've been right now. I'm telling you, this has been the most amazing experience for me. I personally am, uh, am more attuned to what the Lord's trying to do, and I thank Him for that. I mean, if nothing else comes out of that, I thank Him for that. And I pray you are as well. I pray this church is more prayed up and more powerfully spiritually than it's ever been. But yet, where do we go from here? Let's, uh, let's, let's look at what... Jesus says about the church and what we are now as a part of it. Because, see, we all have responsibilities in where this church is going now, okay? And I think it's important that we recognize that we all have responsibilities. And, that we, and let's just see what, what Christ says about the church, what he says about the body. And uh, we, we mentioned that we, we didn't read the scriptures last week, but I'm going to read it this week because it's important that we go to God's word and get God's word and what his perspective is is on the body of Christ. So you can open up your Bible or you can read the screen, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 12 through 27. And if you want to fill in some blanks, you can along as we go, as you, as you, you see fit. But it says this, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. 
It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. We just did this. If one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Are you living your part? You see what it said here, that it's not just that if one part of the body is not doing its part, it's inconvenient. It says if one part of the body isn't doing its part, the body doesn't function. Think about it. Think about your body. Uh, so here's the questions I want to spend the day discussing in, an, in an, much of an informal way as we can. How do you, number one, how do you and I, you can fill in the blanks, fit into the body of Christ here at Centerpoint? How do we fit? What's your part of the body? And number two, how do we fit into the overall body of Christ in our community? That's the bigger part of God's plan. See, even though these may seem like two separate discussions, in reality, they really fit very tightly together. So I'm not sure how we can really break them apart. Because the way we fit into the body of Christ within Centerpoint defines how Centerpoint fits in the larger body of Christ in our community. They, they go together. We can't project an image of spiritualness or godliness or outwardly being focused on the needs of people if we're not concerned about it within the body at center point, if we're not here, if we're not evangelizing, if we're not truly believing and acting, acting internally like we want to work and look externally, we're never going to project that external image. So you can't be one thing and not the other. It's, it's no different today than if I wanted to be a healthy man and my diet was 100% Snickers candy bars. If I wanted to be healthy, I w and if all I ate was Snickers, for a while I might be okay. For a few days I might be able to exist on all I eat is Snickers. But eventually it's going to catch up to me and my body's going to get malnutritioned. Not only fat, but malnutritioned because I'm going to miss the proteins and the other elements and the nutrients that are so important to a property to a properly functioning body. So, so these two fit very importantly. The internal has to be matching what we want the external to be. You are what you eat. We are the body of Christ. As we put into it, the body of Christ is then exemplified outside. And that's where I get a little scared. Because, again, um, as God is challenging me, 
and how I do this, it's not necessarily what I want to do in some cases. And that's where it gets a little bit scared. So as we learn to fit in the body of Christ, here's the key thing. We need to learn to depend on Him. And I know that sounds so cliche-ish, doesn't it? We all say it. As Christian people, all we just depend on Jesus. But let me ask you, do you really? Do you really depend on Him or do you just say it? Are you really living your life to a point where you have to depend on Him? Or are we depending on our pocketbook? Are we depending on our social situation? Are we depending on our network of friends? See, God has flattened, if you will, the foundations of this church. And now that we're moving into the restructure or the rebuilding, this is where the work really starts. This is where we really have to get our hands dirty. This is where the future is accomplished by what we do today. See, my natural inclination is to stay in my comfort level. And so if I was going to do this the way I would do it, I would probably rebuild it just the way it was, with different names and faces, different sources of power, but the same issues. Because that's what I'm comfortable with. Because that's what I know. Because that's what I've been. That's how I was born. That's how I was raised. And so were you. Yet, that's not God's plan. I'm feeling that God's plan is not to restructure Center Point the way it was. He wants a new work. He wants a new wineskin. He wants a new filling of that wineskin. And we're not going to do. We're not going to accomplish. We're not going to be pleasing to Him if we get comfortable in our old ways of doing things and say that's where we're going to go and that's how we're going to do it because that's the way we've always done it. That scares me. Does it scare you? I mean, does it give you a little bit of a sit up and take notice in your seat here to say, all right, now where's that going? And I got to tell you, the the risk that I have, and I understand my risks of myself because my inclination is to risk going overboard the other way. But at going overboard in the other way in my own flesh. The knee-jerk reaction that I'm talking about here is to say, God, all right, God, all right, all right, you got my attention. So now I'm going to do, I'm going to work so hard, God. I'm just going to do everything I got to do and I'm just going to work, 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 work. And I'm not going to take time to listen to his voice to tell me what to do. I'm just going to knee-jerk reaction to do something. And what's that, what that's probably going to look like is something that doesn't work very long or very well. So if I just start jumping in and doing, 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 it might look really good for a little bit, like that man eating Snickers candy bars. You may be fine for a while, but it won't be long, and I'm going to be malnutritioned, and I'm going to fall down, and I'm not going to be able to get back up. And that's going to make the, that's going to make the hand of God look weak, and it's going to diminish what the church is really about. And I'm going to embarrass the Father, because I'm going to go there with every good intention. I'm going to go there with... I'm there in the name of Jesus, but I'm really doing it in the power of Mike. And that's not going to last. So I'm asking God to give me grace that I don't do that. That I don't get 
overly worked up, and I don't try to um, take it on my own. So here is the key. Here's what we need to do. We need to find that sweet spot, if you will, of God's purpose, where we can find God to be in our center point of our church. Our name is very important. I believe God gave us that name as a very important element to who we are. Every time you drive down this road and see that sign, or every time you think of who, what church you go to, the question you should be asking in your spirit, who is at the center point of my life? That's what it's about. It's not about this being the center point of Charlevoix. That's not what it's about. It's about who is the question, who is at my center point? And if it's not Jesus, I better fix it. So we've got to find that sweet spot of working for God with His authority under the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can do that and we can be effective in that. So rather, go to your notes, we need to find the sweet spot of being in the center point of God's will. Then the ministries that begin in this body will be pleasing to God and, we, and they will build up the body of Christ. Now I know that, that this is... Uh, change of this nature takes time and it needs to be well communicated. Both of which I'm not very good at. <laughs> I mean, time, it's patience. We have to work and we have to communicate. And we need to come together. And we need to figure out what it is we're going to do. What are we going to be? How are we going to do it? This is not a top-down push. It's, it's a call for a, a bottom-up swell of let's work together to find the body of Christ, whatever that is, however that looks. But let's be determined that it doesn't repeat the same old mistakes. Ministry that moves a church has grown from the bottom up, not the top down. In this way, the ministry is birthed in the individual believer, not the leader. See, if I give you the ideas... <laughs> Tell me honestly, how much, how hard are you going to work if it's my idea? Not hard. But if it's your idea, how hard are you going to work? Yeah, because you take ownership of it. Because it impacts you. Because now it's your personality. It's your, it's your vision. It's your ministry. And so that's why the bottom-up approach has to work. Ephesians chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 4, this was Jesus' perspective. Let's read what he said. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. All right? So Christ established the leadership to do what? Here we go. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He, Jesus didn't give the church all the fivefold ministry so that the fivefold ministry does all the work. He gave the fivefold ministry so that they could equip the people, the body of Christ, so that the body of Christ builds itself up. And that's where we're at right now. We're at that crossroads of, of who's going to do what. I'll tell you what, if I could do everything, if, I could do everything that you're supposed to do. I shouldn't do it anyways. I shouldn't. Even if I could, I shouldn't. Because it robs you. All right? 
So my role as a pastor teacher is to equip those that are regular attenders of this flock that I've been given responsibility of so that they can have a ministry of their own that ties into the nature of the overall purpose of reaching and teaching and discipling others for Christ. Not in any way to shape or control or manipulate you into what I want you to do, but in a way that you do it the way God empowers you to do it, that he gives you the vision, he gives you the ministry, and then I as the leader will say, come around you and support you and say, yes, we will support your call. That's my role. That's my role as coach. That's my role as pastor teacher is to say, I'm empowering you. We are equipping you to do the work of the gospel, to spread the good news, whatever that looks like for you. And then as a church, it builds up the body of Christ. In that passage I just read, why did Jesus set it up this way? Why did he set it up? that pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets, and that they would come. Why did he do that? Well, first of all, number one, it's too big of a task for only a few to do. It's too big of a task for only a few people to do. And number two, it robs the joy of service that comes from working the garden, as we've been speaking about, from those that choose to do their part. If it's just left to the few, if it's just left to the preachers and the teachers and the prophets and the evangelists, and they do all the work, then you know what? They get all the glory. They get all the rewards. And that, where does that leave you? It leaves you with the leftovers, the crumbs. Is that what you want? <laughs> do you really want to go into heaven with the crumbs? Or do you want to go into heaven with crowns that you're throwing at Jesus' feet? Because you're doing the ministry of his work. And that's the blessing. That's, what Jesus, that's why he set it up this way. Because he wants to share the glory. <laughs> he wants to share the rewards. And I think we get confused and we get, we get hurt over the word work. We defined this a few weeks ago. And I think it's important that we go back and look at this word work again, real quickly. The English word work is defined as a paid job, duties, of a job, place of employment, time spent, purposeful effort, something done or made, means of energy transfer, and the synonyms of it are terrible. I mean, they are bad. Exertion, labor, toil, drudgery, grind. I mean, nothing good there. I don't want to work. I mean, that's no fun. But that's the way we define work today. But, but let's go back to the Hebrew word that, was, that God used in the garden when he created man. He put him in the garden to do what? To work and tend the garden. The word work there is abad. And it's defined to work, serve, labor, to worship, to minister, to work in ministry, to be reduced to servitude, to be caused to serve. Basically, it's to come under relationship with God the Father and work together the garden that he's put man in. That's the kind of work I want. And I think when we can grasp that as the work that we're to do in the, in the church, I think we will be much more willing to work because we're seeing it as a sense of servitude. We're seeing it as a sense of service, as a sense of ministry, not drudgery, not toil, not beating our head against the... The, the, the wall for some temporary gain. But this is eternal. So man's and God's, God's original intention for man was to work in the garden as a way to show our love back to God 
and as a means to develop relationship with him as we work together. And I think that this is the key thing for us, that, that if we will learn how to work together, it's so much more fun to work together than to work alone. You know, I, I find myself, this takes us into the next topic, when do we do work in the church? When? When? When do we do the work? Well, some would say that pastors work on Sundays. In fact, some would say pastors only work on Sundays. We work two hours a day, two hours a week, and we get paid all the big bucks. All right? Well, let me tell you right now, this is not work for me. All right? Spending time with you, sharing God's word, praise and worship, this is not work. Work for me begins tomorrow morning when I've got to try to figure out what I'm going to say next week. <laughs> I mean, work is being diligent in God's word and praying and seeking God's voice and seeking God's direction and, and trying to, to lead and trying to do... That's the work. This is not work. This is fun. I enjoy this. I love being together with you. I love sharing God's word with you. I love the Bible studies on Wednesday night. I love the times we get together. See, and I think that the devil, will, he likes to isolate. I tell you, there's nothing worse than I hate coming into an empty office and think I have to work by myself. It's so boring. It's so hard. You know, and I've read books on how to put together a good sermon, and maybe one day I'll finish one of them. <laughs> books, that is, and maybe I'll get a good sermon out of it, too. But... uh but it says, though, that for every one of these pastors, they say they have to basically glue themselves in their seat and stay at the task of finishing what God wants you to say because it's so easy to get distracted and think, oh, I've got to get a cup of coffee. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got a little helicopter. And I love to fly my little helicopter in my office. And every once in a while I bring it in here. And it's so cool. I mean, I can fly the whole sanctuary. It's so cool. And I'm so tempted to do that all day long. <laughs> but I can't. i got to work. You want to fly it with me later? You know, the work part is the preparation part. It's no different than mom's Thanksgiving dinner. How hard do you work preparing the dinner? And how quickly is it eaten? I mean, how quickly is it just demolished and gone? And in a matter of minutes, you're working again, picking up the dishes. Now, wouldn't it be nice if it was flip-flopped around? You work for a few minutes and spend hours eating? Wouldn't it be fun? But work, work is much more in the church than just coming to church on Sunday morning. Because I don't think this is work for you either. I hope it's not. I mean, if this is the... If, and, and unfortunately, the, we talked about it a little bit earlier, the, the, the Western society, the Western church has been duped into thinking that if I just come to church, I'm pleasing to the Lord. I just got to come in and get my check mark. I just got to come in and say I was in church on Sunday. And that's pleasing to the Lord because I'm working in the kingdom. Hogwash. You're not working in the kingdom. You're sitting in a chair. How's that work? <laughs> work in the kingdom comes Monday through Saturday when you're not in church, 
when you're out living a life and not living in front of the community, that you are out then, you are representing the church. That's the work. And that's where we need to be. And that's this morning where I want to, I want to spend the next few minutes. I want to conclude. I know the time's getting by. But I know, and, and this is, I want to be very careful too. I know that there, we are all in different seasons of life here. All right? And there are some here that are just beginning their season of physical work in the church. And there are others that are just kind of ending their physical work in the church. But let me tell you, it's never done. It just changes. It just changes form. Because when you're young and strong, you can do the heavy lifting of the church. You can do the work that needs to be done physically in the church. And when you're older, then it changes to a prayer warrior. It changes to someone that's going to hold up those younger people, those younger energy people, to do the prayer. And, and I'm telling you, older folks, we need your prayers. You know, I go into the senior homes every so often. Jackie and I do go, and we go about 12 times a year into the different homes. And you know what? One of the messages I like to tell them is that how important they are. Because I need them to pray. I need them to pray for me as a church leader and for every other church in this town. We need your prayers, senior citizens. It's not over. So today, I want to just take the time and I want to, I want to spend the challenge. I want to give the challenge. And with that, I'm going to be very open and honest because I need your help. I need your involvement. I need your ideas. What are we going to be? What do you want this church what do you want this body of believers to be? It's so much more fun when we work together, as we already said. A teamwork approach is so much more fun than doing it by yourself. And if you do it by yourself, it's probably something you shouldn't be doing by yourself. In fact, there's probably not a lot of things you should do by yourself. Because that's not very safe. It's not safe to go swimming by yourself. Because you could get cramps and drown. It's not safe to be exposed to the enemy by yourself because he can ravage and pillage a person by himself. But when you come to an accountability with other people, when you come into a relationship to say, let's work the kingdom together, not only is it fun, it's safer for all of us. So how do we do this? The, the, the tendency is, on, on, we go home today, you're going to go home in a few minutes and you're going to forget this message. I mean, that's what the church has been doing for years and years and years, right? You go in and say, amen, good preaching, brother. You go home and you forget everything you just heard and nothing changes. Well, we can't do that. We have to figure out what are we going to do. Now, there are some already that are doing it, and I appreciate that. And I'm just not brown-nosing my mother, but she's doing it already. You know, she's getting the, she's getting the, the, the um, carry-on club. I almost said the left-behind club. The carry-on club. <laughs> the carry-on club to come up with some ideas what they can do. Things like they can write thank you letters for people. They can say, hey, thanks for being in church on Sunday for visitors. They can notice who's not here. And they can write a note to say, hey, we missed you today. They, they can write a birthday card to say, hey, happy birthday. They can be aware of who's hurting in the body so that they can send food. 
They can coordinate those types of things. See, that's the thing. And if my mom did that by herself, it would be boring and it would be hard. But when she gets with the carry-on club, when she gets with Margaret and Nancy and, and all the other ladies that come together to do that, and Kathy, you know, all of a sudden now they have unity, they have fellowship. Now what other things can we do? I don't know how to do this besides we need to meet again, okay? We need, we need to meet again somehow, some way, and have some brainstorming sessions. And we need to really put this to action because if we just say, yeah, that's good, nothing's going to happen. All right? So we need to purposely gather together to figure out what we need to do in the church. I had an example. For example, I got a phone call on Monday from a lady. And I'll tell you, this is how my natural, this is how my mind works. She called me Monday morning and said, I need some help. Immediately, I'm skeptical. <laughs> just me. Um, I need some help. I say, okay, listen to her. She goes, I live over here in the Shalvoy Estates, and, and I'm a single mom, and I have this problem, and don't have any money, but my roof is leaking. And do you have anybody that can help? I'll tell you, my first reaction to say was, uh, no, but I'll pray with you. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord didn't let me say no. He didn't even let me say, I'll pray with you. <laughs> what he said was, you know, tell me your problem. And let's see what we can do about it. So we have a group of guys. And, and what we need to do then is have, I would love to have a, a group of men that, or ladies that would be willing to say, any problem that calls in, give it to me. And then we'll be a squat team. And we'll go out and we'll investigate it. And we'll see, what is the problem? What can we do to solve the problem? See, we do that together, it's fun. If I do it by myself, I, I can't do it. First of all, I can't fix a roof. But see, that kind of stuff. How, how do we do that? What happened to her? Uh, we're getting a group of guys to go out and take a look. I've got phone calls back into her right now, and so we're going to wait. I mean, I'm, I've, I've got two messages. I haven't heard back from her. I've got two messages in to call her back, to call me, so we can send a group of guys out. Lawrence brought it up on Wednesday when I wasn't there, and a group of guys stepped up and said, we'll go do it. We'll go look at it. And that's good, and that's biblical, and that's what we need to do. All right? But let's get more proactive if we can. So... I'm going to end the service today by bringing just a challenge to bring your ideas. Bottom-up ministry, not top-down pushing, no legalism, no forcing, no manipulating, just saying this is your church. What do you want your church to be? Now, when we schedule a time together, will you come? Will you show up and be part of that meeting so we can then figure out what we're going to do? That's the important part. And we'll have to clearly publicize it because there's a lot of people here that don't hear the message. But we'll try to do that. Amen? Uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we come and we are um, in our own uh, physical minds and natures. Lord, we are a little afraid right now, a little scared right now because we really don't know what this is going to look like. But I do believe that our heart is to be pleasing to you. Our heart is the one to move into your direction. So God, I pray that you would teach us and move in us. Teach us what we need to do. Give us the courage. Give us the energy. Give us the, uh, the freedom to work. 
then do what you'd have us to do. That you would be glorified, Jesus. That you would build up the church, Jesus. That we would just do our part with you, working the church, working as the body, building up the body of Christ. Help us, Lord, to put a plan together. Give us ideas. Give us direction. In the name of Jesus, we ask.